You are on Line of Sight, a War Machine and Hordes podcast for new and experienced players, sponsored by Broken Egg Games. Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode number 76 of Line of Sight. My name's Chandler. I'm here with Jaden. Hello. I'm also here with Brett. Brett. Uh, Brett, best known for his Zadaroth play. <laughs> yes, that's his, most, his claim to fame. I like, so, I like, her. I like it. it the, yeah. They don't have genders. It makes it very difficult to refer to them. <laughs> Oh, really? I could have sworn she was a girl. Oh, well. No, she I just think, presents. I think that they said... I think they said on the stream that they were referring to Alma Deimos as male, Zadaroth female, and Agathon as neutral. Oh, maybe that's... I thought they yeah. were Yeah, I think, I think it's just Agathon that's considered neutral. I mean, to be honest, they're all probably yeah. kind of neutral. But, but, it's probably I don't, meaningless I don't think, to them. I don't think any of them reproduce sexually. <laughs> yeah, I, I get that feeling. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's, it's asexual. They just split. Yeah. <laughs> Omadamos turns into two little Omadamites. <laughs> I would read that novella. <laughs> <laughs> yep, yep. Seems good. Uh yeah. So, uh news. Uh Infernals exist, sort of. Um talk about them again. Yeah, I'm not gonna talk a whole lot about them. I did wanna just mention the updates that happened. The problem is is that there's going to be new updates by the time that this actually comes out. Yep. Um, but just for the sake of the things that did change, for anybody who's who's paying attention, uh, they tweaked summoning, so the summoning happens during your control phase after you regain essence, uh, yep. which reduces the threat range of summoning considerably. It also uh, gives it something resembling counterplay, because you can kind of, like, control your... box in their caster. Yeah. Yeah, if you want. Uh, yeah, he can kind of play around a little bit. Uh, cultist bands uh, went up a point for both min and max units and went from FAU to FA3. So this is just kind of the first step in addressing the essence economy a little bit. Uh, it's yep. not enough, probably, but it's something. Um, Umbral Guardian became terrible. Useless, yeah. yeah. I hope that gets uh, So they, they, they did mention what was up with this change in the dev stream today. Uh, because apparently this is just an old version of the rule. They just wanted to revert it for now while they kind of figure out what to do with it. Um, so, yeah, they changed this. Uh, the Shadow Guardian ability that lets them teleport into play and take a shot is all, only on friendly faction non-soulless models. So it basically just applies to, like, your cultists and uh, your, your, solos. Uh, your solos and stuff. And that's, like, pretty much it. Yeah. Um, so a lot less exciting. Um, I kind of get that. They, and they said straight up, like, we're not happy with this. <laughs> <laughs> they were like, we we don't like where the Umbra Guardians at. We're gonna we're gonna fix this. We just are working on exactly how they how they want it to work. So yeah, uh, Mordecai they changed his things to have to target. So he needs line of sight, which is like, hooray, still meaningless. He'll just yeah. line of sight. He'll just reposition back out of line of sight. But hey, right. um, it's something. Yeah, and they this is another model. They said on the dev stream that he is like top of the hit list for like this guy needs to change, which uh, is good because he does. Yeah. And, and, and a lot of it seemed to be basically taking some of the abilities he has and just spreading them to other models. Like, they were talking about the possibility of, like, putting Tactician on Hawk and Intelligence on uh, Kezia and things like that. And so just kind of spreading spreading his love out to, 
to other pieces. Uh, yeah. And then Hawk's mount got a half-inch melee range because it didn't have a melee range, which is just a... I think everybody Clerical just kind of assumed that's what it was anyway, so... Yep. I didn't realize. His, his mount, he's got the strong mount, POW-12. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What are you talking about? I'm from I'm, Trolls, sir. Our mounts are POW-14. Sure. True that. You got or our Legion of Mentarixes and they're POW-15. Yeah. <laughs> so Strong yeah, uh, it's it wasn't a huge change. This was done at the beginning of the week, um, but they they said they're going to be doing a change as of recording, uh, tomorrow. basically tomorrow. Yeah, or yesterday. Uh, this today it, comes out. Yeah. Sure, and uh, it sounds like it's going to be a lot more involved. So everybody who's hearing this will have all that new information to go with. But I figured would, would most of sense? this. It, look, it looks like the last of changes was just like, oh my god, this faction doesn't function. Well, they wanted to, yeah, they wanted to get summoning into, like, a spot where it was, like, closer to kind of what it might yeah. be in the long run, where there was, like, okay, the, the anytime is just clearly not going to be a thing. And then just, like, starting the toning down of Essence, starting the toning down of Mordecai, like, kind of just getting getting the ball rolling a little, and then it sounds like there's a lot more stuff that they want to do. I'm really excited to see what they do with, like, the spell lists on the casters, um, because they've they've talked about adjusting all three of them to some degree. My favorite change uh, like, that I've seen suggested is Omadamos loses synergy and gets manifest destiny. Yeah, yeah, I think that'd be cool. Did, but did I play yeah. six points down? I don't no, know. No. Did you? Prob- no, it you played. Doesn't matter. Up. Damn it! Uh, <laughs> you played a hundred points up, Brad. It doesn't matter. <laughs> yep. Uh, yeah. So that's the infernal stuff. It's it's. I figure most of this stuff probably won't change in the next thing, but there will probably be more changes on top of that. So I figured it's yeah. relevant to mention. Um. We got a couple of fairly major events going on, at least in, in the western half of the United States. Uh, we've got the Intermountain Cup that's coming up. It's basically going to be the day after this drops. Uh, so if you're not planning on going, you're probably not going. But <laughs> just mentioning it, it's March 16th in Pocatello, Idaho. Uh, they always go through their wait list. So if you ever want to jump in last minute, like you probably can. Uh, and then there's also the Seattle Open, which is March 23rd. Uh, yep. So approximately a week from when this will drop. Um that's in Seattle, to the surprise of nobody ever. Uh, and yeah, you can look that up on Facebook, find any any uh, the I, more specific relevant info. I, I just found out like three or four of the biggest sharks that I was counting on being there are not going to be there. So nice. that's nice. changing things considerably. Yeah, hopefully IMC stays pretty chill too. That's <laughs> what I'm going to. Uh, I wanted to mention this because we didn't mention it last time. I don't remember if it was announced or not, but... Um, They've made some changes to how Black Anchor works. Oh, that uh, was not announced yet. So. Yeah, I think I think it was like a couple of days after we recorded. Um, so I, yeah, I just wanted to kind of bring this up because it was it was definitely a big point of contention for a very long time, and very reasonably so, I think. Uh, where Black a- Black Anchor Heavy Industries doing a lot of the really big showcase, huge base models that have come out over the past while, uh, had very poor distribution into EU, i.e., none. Um, meaning that uh, you were basically paying absurd import costs and things like that uh, when ordering things in. Well, they've based now a distribution in uh, the EU out of Liverpool, uh, which hopefully should tone some of those costs down a little bit. Um, so that's exciting, I think. It, yeah. I don't have perspective on it necessarily, but that's cool. I think it's a big deal. I think it like yeah, cuts sure. the cost of those things in half for those guys. For a yeah, it's possible. The, yeah, I, I, I've I've seen breakdowns of the cost, but I haven't I haven't seen them for a little while. But yeah, it'll be it'll be interesting to see kind of what those what those look like. It, so it's looking like things coming out in the future are going to be on that, and then they're going to retroactively start adding the older yeah. huge bases. So 
yeah, good news out of them. Um, also wanted to mention this just because it's kind of neat, and we never mention this stuff. Uh, is the Stormbreak League that's currently going on? This is one of the narrative leagues. Yeah, um, yeah I was kind of reading through the fluff on it. It's kind of interesting. It's there's uh, three factions set up on it that you pick from, uh, and the whole thing is based around uh, Kadorans building some super weapon from Zoo Tech. That's supposed to be some big scary thing, and they're they're doing the thing where the outcome of that is actually going to affect War Machine's like narrative in the long run. Uh, I so read you, that book. It was called Bands of Mourning. I don't know. No. <laughs> you guys are not as big Sanderson fans as I am. I mean, no. I've read almost I've, all of Sanderson stuff, but I don't I've, think I've read that one. I've read like one of his books, and then the end of Wheel of Time. That's my <laughs> that's that's my Sanderson books so far. Um, I mean to read the other ones eventually, but I haven't gotten around to it. Anyway, uh, yeah, so uh, that's kind of interesting. If you want to look at it, go to just like on Privateer Press's website. If you go to the, uh, uh, I think it's under Organized Play. I believe so. Uh, there's a league section. They'll have the Stormbreak League on there. They've got like patches and stuff that you can get for your, your local store. It's been going on for like five days now as of recording. So like a week once this drops. But uh, yeah, it's supposed to take like a month. So beginning really of cool. April, it'll probably be ending. So, yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think we want to try to mention, you know, those kind of leagues and other things going on a little bit more often. So I figured I'd bring that up because it's neat. So uh, what we're actually talking about today, there's kind of two. Is, I, I wrote an outline here, but there's kind of two topics that sort of often intermingle here, uh, though not always. But yeah, um, we want to talk a little bit about dealing with tilt, which for anybody who doesn't know, like. I don't necessarily I don't necessarily know how prolific that term actually is. I'm pretty I hear it a lot, but um, I think it's just from like a Magic the Gathering background, you know it very poker. well, or poker, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's essentially like when I guess you could say when something happens in a game, but really it doesn't even have to be something that happens. It's basically when you're getting angry about what's going on in the game and it's affecting your play. It's basically, yeah. what that boils down to. Um, and then on top of that, we also want to talk about how to play from behind, playing from a position where you are in the moment losing. Um, these kind of come together <laughs> because <laughs> one of the most common reasons you're going to get tilted is that you're behind. Um, so they, they 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 will intermingle a little bit. I have some kind of specific layouts for how we want to talk about them, but at the end of the day, they're going to kind of intermingle. Uh, so I guess the, the first thing I wanted to kind of just get into is like what actually causes tilt in a game, uh, dice. Yep. That's, uh, <laughs> that's like cause number one, really easy one. Yeah. Um, the thing uh, is, the is feeling that, that you're out of control. Exactly. Is, is d- dice being a randomized mechanic? The, the thing is, is that you need, it's a really weird balance to strike because dice are essentially how we create the, like the drama of a game right in that Mm -hmm. you don't necessarily know the outcome you can just do as much as you can to like try to fix the outcome um but at the end of the day dice are out of your hands right like you can't do anything about them except cheat i guess don't do that that. but (laughs) we're gonna say brett uh there so it's actually an interesting point is that even in highly skill-based games you want there to be um a comeback mechanic something that allows newer players to stay in the game um, randomization is a good way to do that, and I think War Machine handles it well because it allows you to control your randomization. Um, yep. That you can invest more resources in order to have things become less random. So as you become more skilled, randomness becomes less of a factor in the game, which I think is a really cool design. Yeah, yeah, for sure. It's not like Age of Sigmar where you just roll a d6 at the beginning of every turn to see if you're going twice in a row. <laughs> Wait, is that yeah. a thing? 
Oh it yeah, was when it came out for sure. Yeah, oh my gosh, I, I think it's still in there. It's every round you re-roll initiative, and uh, so if you went second on the initiative, you then re-roll you roll initiative, and if you win that initiative, then you go first in the next round, meaning you, get two, you get two full turns in a row. It's okay. it's basically the mechanic that dropped me out of that game when I was playing it. All right, fair uh, enough. It's, it's seriously bad. Uh, but the thing is, if people laud it as like, there's people who seriously defend it as like, oh, it's a great comeback mechanic for for people who are behind. And I'm like, no, it's a garbage comeback mechanic. <laughs> it's terrible. <laughs> like it, it doesn't feel good. Like, and that's kind of the thing. It's like you you, and that's kind of the nature of where War Machine's mechanic is really really good is because it's based on that really nice dice curve and that you have a lot of control over with you know all the boosting and uh, buffs and debuffs kind of mechanics and things like that that you can mess around with. Which actually gets um, back to our topic. The the main way that I fight dice tilt is by going, well, what could I have done in order to make dice less of a factor? And in War Machine, there's almost always an answer, or there's almost always a way to reduce it. Yeah. Sure. Yeah, definitely. Um, other things that can cause tilt. There's so the thing is, is this is gonna this is gonna depend. Like dice is the one that I think is the most ubiquitous in that like everybody can be. Everybody probably has been hit by dice tilt at some point or another. Yep. Uh, Unless you were like a true just Zen god. Uh, I mean, I don't think I've ever seen Brent tilt on dice. That's probably like the closest. Yeah, it's probably true. Yeah, one of my locals is a bit is a bit like that, I guess. But um, other kind of things that can cause tilt though is uh, like fighting against things that are you consider to be overpowered. That's a very mm-hmm. common one. Yep. Um, that that's a bit of a mentality thing, although it can be legitimate. <laughs> <laughs> that's kind of I thing that, infernals. That, that's the thing is there there are totally things you can reasonably get angry about and i kind of want to actually I, I didn't write this down so it's a very slight tangent but i want to mention like the idea of like there, there's people who get um condescending kind of about the fact that people can get upset over a game like this like they're kind of like oh, it's just a game of what's wrong with you kind of a thing. The thing is, is at the end of the day, like most miniatures games really are a pretty enormous investment of like yourself in a lot of ways. Uh, Be it, you know, you can go anywhere from like the fact that like pretty much everybody at the very least assembled their models and they maybe even found it to be a miserable and long process to do, right? Like they put a ton of money. Yeah, or paid a ton of money to get that done, right? Yeah. And everybody, most people, constructed some kind of a list, whether that was sitting there painstakingly working on it or, like, researching online or any number of things like that. Um, and then if you paint, that's a whole other level, right? If you convert yep. things and put things into that, there's a lot that you put into that. And then you actually get to the game and you're having a very intense social experience with another person that can last a very long time. Yeah. Uh, depending on the game. Um, it's hard not to get emotionally invested, even if you are playing more casually. Like, you know, it's, it, it's, you get involved, you know, <laughs> that's part yeah. of why, that's part of why the communities for like, really any tabletop game that's gained any kind of traction, they're, they tend to be very passionate about it. Yeah. And the thing is, is that with passion about a game, often comes anger about situations within one. That <laughs> um, I creep. Yep. Uh, so, it, like, just recognize. And, and the thing is, there are sometimes kind of legitimate reasons for tilt. It's it's just it's still better to try not to. And one of them is like there are times where you've hit a table and realized that like the rules are broken. <laughs> like, thankfully, it's a lot less common these days. 
a lot less common. Yeah. So, uh, so one thing that you should realize about yourself is that if you're listening to a podcast like this um, and you're trying to be competitive with War Machine, then uh, you're investing some of your self-worth in your performance. Mm-hmm. Um, so be yep. aware of the goals and expectations you've set because n- not like not knowing that you're setting unreasonable goals is a really good way to get really frustrated. Um, for example, if you're if you're only playing like once a month and you go to like a national level con, do not expect to win the whole con, except for Jaden. Um, hey, <laughs> <laughs> I don't go in expecting to win anything. But but that, but the, managing your expectations is a really good way to prevent yourself from tilting because you can say, sure, I didn't win the whole thing, but here are you know here are my excuses and like they're legitimate ones you're not you're not spent you're not doing this as your full-time job this is you know there are life factors i assume in your way or you just got unlucky like that just happens you have to get lucky to win a tournament um and so understanding that just because you're putting yourself worth in try and set goals that where you can reach them and aren't like something impossible where if you fail it's because it's because you're a failure and therefore you're going to seek to move that blame elsewhere so you feel less bad about yourself right i actually think that self-worth thing is is a really super relevant point that doesn't get brought up a whole lot it's really hard to get upset about something that you don't actually care about right like like if, if you don't care about something then it's like whatever you don't get happy about it you don't get sad about it but in order to get like truly like a joyful reaction out of something or conversely a really negative reaction about something you have to care about it a lot and you have to be fairly invested in it and that self-worth thing is something that is very true about basically anybody that plays a game or does something that requires skill right like a carpenter has a lot of their self-worth invested in the thing they make um a musician has a lot of their self-worth invested in the way that they sound when they play their instrument a war machine player has a lot of their self-worth invested in how well they play the game and, and I'm not saying that's a bad thing, but I am saying be very well aware of it and don't let it ruin you. Yeah, no, it's a really, it can be a really cool thing, but yeah, yeah just be aware of it. Yep, definitely. And also don't let it slowly turn you into one of the angry people on the internet. Because <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, exactly that, that if it ends up with those people who've been out of the game for like six months but are still raging about things. They care deep down. They just need to stop, though. <laughs> Seriously. Uh, as far as like other things though, that so we talked about like there's dice, there's going into things that you consider to be too strong. Um, other things are just like making a mistake, <laughs> like making a really obvious mistake. Like that can definitely, you know, like oh I lost that heavy for no reason. Literally, it could have been somewhere else. It for right. and it wouldn't have changed anything about the game except that I wouldn't have lost it. Right. Um, there's. I don't know. What else actually, is there? I have I have a lot of trouble with the unforced errors. I think that's what caused me to tilt everything else. Yeah. 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 Agreed. Uh, I I definitely I see that more in like it's kind of funny. There every kind of different level. I don't want to say level exactly, but like style, I guess, of play kind of has like different things, right? Like the the tilt for like running into something that you consider to be really overpowered is a little more common among like a slightly more casual player base, where you're just like, I just want to play something that's like fun and not have to deal well, with these kind of medalists all the time this if, isn't always the if, case but if you think that the the quote medalists are more powerful than anything else in the game you're not going to keep playing right you're not going to play at a competitive level <clears throat> and uh like and I, I feel like as you get to the much more competitive level it's that unforced error thing is the thing i have seen most make people upset at like the the very top levels of play is like 
why did I do that? Like there was literally no reason to do that. Um, that one, that one's definitely one that comes up quite a bit. Um, and there can be a lot of weird other things too. It could be something that has nothing to do with the game. It could be a home life thing. Yep. Like you could just be going into that game angry. Yep. (laughs) Oh, that that happens all the time. Much more. Yeah. I, I've, I have seen that. I've, I've done that (laughs) like a time or two. It's um, not a good thing to do, man. It's not a good thing to do. Do, That's, do not play War Machine angry. It's a bad idea. I mean, there's a reason that, like, I have had events that I have intended to play all the way through, but I dropped out of after a game that I was too angry about because I was like, I can't keep playing. Like, that's going to kill me. <laughs> well, and, <laughs> like, I, and that is bad. a way to deal with tilt. If if you're getting frustrated, don't, like, try and tough it out and try and, like, say, oh, I've signed up for this. This is my only, like, if you're not enjoying it, get the hell out of there. Don't let anyone pressure yeah. you to playing um like if i get frustrated i'll go take like a five minute break if you're getting so frustrated that you take that break and you come back and you're still frustrated during the next game drop from the tournament man it is like it is not yeah. worth viral honestly it. like especially if you're only a couple rounds in if you're like i'm pissed but i'm just going to play this next three or four rounds i'm willing to bet by the end of those rounds you will sell your models yep like legitimate like it will get so bad that you will want to leave the game permanently and you will probably start the process of doing that like just because that and that this is the case with like pretty much any game that you can do this to yourself and that is like the fastest way to instant burnout is just like forcing yourself to play through like a really bad day um i mean i i have been in that situation once (laughs) yep i and i only did one round and i quit the game for six months i I remember (laughs) that day (laughs) yeah i went and played infinity for a while yeah Um, so so what are some ways okay so let's let's like how do you recognize that you are in that situation because a lot of the time that's not necessarily obvious unless you're like very 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 self-aware oh i mean yeah i took like years of classes on and still i have trouble (laughs) Um, yeah so so i think one of the big things is um noticing how you react to situations so for me when i start saying oh like of course you roll it above average or of course that happens Uh, you know of course i roll double one that's how i know i'm starting to tilt and that's Mm -hmm. when i start trying to break that cycle and start going okay well that's actually average or well over the course of these 10 dice rolls um yes he got the first one first five above average but these next five have been average or below so it actually evens out that, mm. that, that's a way that i use to comfort myself is to start thinking about like the actual averages rather than just like the feelings yeah sure so I, go, ahead. go ahead no okay. it's okay go ahead i like from and this is the thing is this is going to be a little bit different for everybody like it really just kind of comes down to like how do you know when you're angry Yes. And it's kind of different for everybody. Like for me, it's like I, I know that I've hit a point where I probably shouldn't continue. Like there's just a very particular buzz in my head that I'm just like, there it is. Like I'm out. <laughs> like I can't. I de- as soon as I start like feeling a certain way, like in my chest, I'm like, it, it's done. There's nothing I can really do from this point. Um, and there's except just walk away for a while and and step away. And it. Like it, it's just it's different for everybody. Everybody's yeah. gonna have kind of a, a a tell for themselves. And some people are like, there's there's and this kind of goes into like a lot of people's, I guess, kind of personal way of handling things. But there's a lot of people who are just are not equipped to recognize it in some ways. They need a lot of work. Well, <laughs> they need to talk yeah. to somebody or really self reflect. It, it uh, if you have a close friend that you play with a lot, um, it's often a lot easier for. Uh, someone else to recognize when you're 
when you're tilting than when than for you two. Um, mm -hmm. Because for you, it's all a bunch of tiny incremental steps that have led to this. For your for your opponent, it's like, whoa, suddenly he's angry. What just happened? Yeah, it seems like one thing. Right? Yeah. So yeah. If, if even if you don't have a problem with tilting, it's probably worth it to talk with your like your your locals, your practice group, and say like, hey, what what do you find makes me angry? What what do I start doing when um, when I'm starting to tilt? And then you can start asking them to point it out. Because if they can start uh, like habitualizing you to notice that feeling, you can start doing like biofeedback and like figuring out when like this. Oh, this is the feeling that means that I'm really angry, and then you start paying attention to that. Yeah. Um, as far as like breaking out of that feeling, like you, if you catch it early enough, there's a very you're very capable. Most people are of coming back into what's the opposite of tilt. St Stabilization. Serenity. I don't know. Serenity. I don't know. Okay. <laughs> like, <laughs> Back into focus, I guess. Being logical or reasonable, right? Sure. It's, yeah. You're not acting on your emotions or how you feel. It's you're acting on what the reality is. Yeah. yeah. So so I've been doing a lot of, like, figuring out how to deal with toddler tantrums lately. <laughs> um, and a, a lot of this stuff is actually, like, really applicable to basically everybody as well. Um, some of the most useful things that we've found is that, like, you if you change your environment, that almost instantly usually changes your mindset or like the way that you're perceiving things so uh tim Banky is a big proponent of put the clock on my on my time i'm gonna go on a walk for like a minute yep. go out get some fresh air get some water come back and then the way that he approaches it, it then is oh somebody who was really dumb was playing this game of war machine and made this stupid mistake but i'm gonna fix it because i'm you know better than that person right so if you come in with that different mindset, but I think changing your location is like easily the best thing you can do for yourself. Game stores get real stifling and you just, sometimes you need some fresh air. Yep. Um, and it's, you're, if you're getting frustrated, there's probably something biologically wrong, like you're hungry or you're thirsty. So pay attention to that, like getting stuff like that um, helps. Mm. Yeah, that definitely. If, if you're not eating or drinking enough, like your, your whole body's going to stress out in a lot of ways and it'll start to react in, Ways that don't always make sense to you. Correct. And one of those can be anger. Um, for me, like, I, I, I started to find this kind of goes into, like, how to kind of avoid it in the first place, but which, again, is going to be a little bit a little bit different for everybody. But um, one thing that's kind of interesting is you can trick your brain in a lot of really weird ways, uh, particularly by, like, kind of, I don't know, doing very honest reactions can kind of actually make you feel the way that you're reacting in certain ways. So for me, uh, when things start going really poorly, like be it via dice or I made a mistake or things like that, I kind of try to just very honestly laugh at it. <laughs> and I find that it usually just calms me down really quickly. And that's part of why like I, and I've had this commented on is I'm, I tend to be very conversational and, kind of loud and laughing a lot during games because it just kind of keeps me chill. <laughs> like the whole, no matter what's going on, uh, it lets me kind of separate from like, if I get too hyper-focused, that's when I'm like going to get a little bit uh, fragile to the potential of tilt or getting mm -hmm. angry about something. So that's kind of me is I find just kind of, even though I can, and this comes from like, I can still play very competitively and very focused this way. 
but it lets me kind of more feel like this is a more chilled out environment rather than having to be like super serious about it all the time, which is kind of funny. It, I, and this isn't a knock on anybody, but like at, at kind of top tables of a few different events I've been at, it's always kind of funny watching how my opponents react to that because mm-hmm. it, especially like, and I've said this before, like there were some masters events I've went and watched that are like sitting in a library, <laughs> like, this very quiet, like, everybody's kind of, you know, it's like they're having a good time because it's, it's what they enjoy doing. But, like, everybody's kind of oddly quiet. And I just want to kind of laugh and have fun with it. And I get a lot of very interesting blank stares from opponents sometimes. <laughs> and they're like, what are you, what are you doing? Like, <laughs> as I'm standing up and, like, explaining some ridiculous thematic thing, like fluff element about something that just happened in a game. And they're just like, okay. <laughs> like, I don't know. I just find it fun. Like, I just want to have fun with it a little bit. And and I find that just being that way right from the start just helps me, like, not get angry. Yeah. Um, it's it's actually a really good strategy. So, um, like, like even even stuff like faking a smile um, mm-hmm. is, is shown to actually improve your mood. Um, mm-hmm. Because you re- yep. you react to the like that muscle movement and the, that familiar situation like it's a smaller version of walking away like you're talking about changing the situation yeah and that's uh, that's much more effective as like a um kind of a preliminary tool because uh, once you're deep in it it's very hard to do that kind of stuff yeah. mm-hmm. like once 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 the salt has taken over it's it's a little different and that's where like really just walking away is probably your best bet for a little bit. One of the things that I try to do, especially if I'm like pretty good friends with the person I'm playing, which increasingly is the case as I, I get to know more people, um, is that if you can trick yourself into trying to take over the game from their perspective during their turns as they're doing things, you'll find that you empathize more with the good things and don't take quite as much gleeful pleasure when things screw up. And that helps you like stay on on focus because you're not emotionally invested from your perspective as much and so you can take joy when good things happen for them as well you're also going to win a lot more games that way yeah because you're paying a lot more attention to what they're doing and yeah and that's actually like because jaden's been kind of teasing me about this lately about my imagination with the game but um that's part of why i do that too like why i'm always like making stories out of weird i usually actually do that the most with stuff my opponent does that screws me over like, oh, that was awesome. That would have been like, that guy slammed into that, and that would have looked super cool. Because it, it's easier on me. It just feels better of like, well, at least it looked badass. You know, like, I got wrecked, but hey, it looked cool. <laughs> you know, like, kind of, a, it looked cool in my head. I had a cool story about that, so I'll roll with it, you know. Kind of kind of just letting my, like, letting my opponent have a moment. And I usually tell them about it, and they usually stare at me like, okay. But still, <laughs> like, I'm excited about it. You know, I have a fun time right. with it. Um, some of that though kind of starts leading into like the next part of what we want to talk about, which is which is playing from behind, right? Because th- those kind of strategies about looking at the other side of the table kind of play into that quite a bit. Uh, so firstly, how do you actually know like when it, when you're in the middle of a game, how do you know you're behind? That's, Obviously, this is going to change from game to game quite a bit. Yeah, that's actually like, a really what, hard question. What kind of things are you looking for, right? So there's a really obvious one, uh, point values on the table. That's yep. like that's a really really basic. It's not always relevant, but you it's a to, really you basic have to start. Say that while infernals are being tested. So the thing is, is it, well, and I have I have explained thoroughly why I don't think using point values makes sense with infernals, but that's that's a different topic. 
but the, the like that's a and this is the thing is this is probably actually one of unless it's really far in one direction this is like one of the least relevant yes. in my eyes it is less um, relevant, I think. a lot of people get really caught up on it like oh, he's like 30 points up on me right now and it's kind of like how relevant are those points where are they positioned right like, like can they how, actually get how, to anything how can game? they be leveraged in a way like I mean, yes i, I still I if i still have two siege turtles on you that's great unless they're in the back field pointing the wrong way like you know it, I, yeah. I was 70 points up on my opponent in this game and then he scored four points i'm like i almost lost <laughs> right yep. yeah so i think i think recognizing when you're behind um and actually just kind of how the game state is going is something that's going to take a little while for for most players to identify like starting off brand new this is one of the hardest skills to learn um because there's so many like variables to am i behind right yeah and it, to be honest like how complex this is goes the other way too like how do you know when you're ahead like how do you apply that right and so it's it's difficult both ways it's it's a really complicated yeah. thing to like and it, it honestly a lot of it comes down to game feel <laughs> like <laughs> just kind of knowing the pulse of how a war machine game plays out and sort of knowing where it's at mm-hmm. um but it like the factors i guess you can look into there's like one of the baselines you can, you can do you can do point costs you can do a uh, scenario either current scenario points or scenario presence mm-hmm. um which kind of plays into where is the line of battle drawn Mm-hmm. Like very generally speaking, this is not always the case, but very generally speaking, the closer to you the line of battle is, the the more behind you are. That's not always the case. Usually, you just want to be playing more forward because you just have more table, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, that kind of that goes back to like a really basic like chess concept of just threatening more of the board is important. Yeah, uh, control the center kind of thing, <clears throat> right? Uh, and that, that so that's something you can look at is kind of how far forward, and that's part of why we've talked a lot about like really fast, really resilient lists being so strong right mm-hmm. now. Uh, is they do that better than anything else? Uh, is just get table space and stay there. Another way that you can tell is if you have absolutely nothing in a particular part of the table that has a scenario piece in it, you're probably behind. Um, like if you're just never going to be able to get into a zone or to contest a flag or something, and it's still the early game, you're behind. Unless the opponent is also in that situation with that same scenario. Correct. <laughs> but that, like, yeah. listen, neither of us are fighting over that side. <laughs> right. But like, if, if like, say it's spread the net, right. And that's like, you can't contest... just want to note this on. Yeah, <laughs> it is. Um, or Mirage because they have a defensive flag and it's like, yeah. I am never contesting that flag. I'm probably behind. Right, because they've got a thing on it. I don't. Uh, they're contesting my flag. I'm not contesting their flag. I'm behind. That's like probably the easiest scenario in which you can tell. Would, would you agree that scenario points are the easiest way to tell if you are ahead or behind? Like, if if they're scoring on your turn, you're probably mm-hmm. behind. I think if if they're scoring on your turn, you're instantly like, all right, I'm behind. <laughs> like, yeah. I feel like Un- I feel unless like you're scoring significantly more points than they are. Like if it's like right. I score three, you score one, it's like okay, we're probably even. I guess if they're scoring ahead of, if they're scoring more points than you on their turn, on your turn, oh, that's, that's oh yeah, that's a disaster. Right, that's, that's like called a the point game's where, over. <laughs> I mean, be, be that they scored one and you scored zero, or yeah. they scored three on your turn and you scored two. Like it's bad no matter how you look at it. Yeah. Um. And it's worse the higher those numbers get. But yeah, uh, yeah. Um, that's the amount of times that I have I have like finished turn two, and then just realized I let them score one point on my turn. That I've literally been like, 
well, I probably lose now. Like, that's almost enough that I'm like, oh, well, should have contested that because I'm probably going right. to lose. <laughs> like, I've definitely had those games. Um, so, oh, okay, so, so what, what do we actually do to say I'm behind in attrition? Um, uh, so I was one thing I was going to say is this is like one of the hardest ones that requires you to really know the game really well is uh, like you could both have the exact same amount of stuff on the table and they're both dead center and scenario exactly even. But recognizing when nothing you have can kill the things they have anymore. Right. I, like when you realize that they have a piece that your models cannot realistically kill. Um, in, you're in behind, turn, right? In one turn, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, well, like in a reasonable for, period of time, in two right. turns, even. Like I've definitely had times where you're like, well, if I had about four rounds of whaling on that, I'd kill yeah. it. <laughs> right. Like a good example of this is they have a colossal. You have one heavy, right? Like in this particular portion of the board, you might have a ton of crap on the other side of the table, but like they have a colossal and you have one heavy. This is not going to work, pretty much ever. Yeah. Right. And and that, that also kind of goes into like, what are your other pieces, right? But you, you kind of have to like, you look at the math and go, the rest of my pieces cannot meaningfully contribute to removing that model. And the one model I do have can't do it on its own. Mm-hmm. You are now in a situation where you're having to think differently and you're having to look at the table in a way that does not include killing all of their models yeah. you have to take well, that off the table i i can confirm that uh this is a way to, to recognize that you're behind because as soon as you said it i start going okay but what about scenario and what about attrition or what about assassination right because those are like the, <laughs> that's you're like okay well this is this is no longer a thing so, yeah, so this, is, stuff. this is why this is a game where you can play from behind because yeah. there are some there are many games where once you are behind in this way in a specific attrition way where you go i can no longer kill that thing you're doomed. Uh, thankfully, War Machine has three different avenues to win. Yeah, four. Uh, clock. Yeah, four. Yeah, four close clock, and that and that's actually relevant because that's one thing I wanted to yeah. mention uh, is, um, basically once you've established that you're behind for yourself. Sorry, clock Sorry. is the funniest one because if your opponent does too well, like if they have like a hundred models and you have two left, they they have to use a they lot can more screw time themselves. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> that's where that's where like really attrition centric or recursion lists can get really screwed sometimes. Yeah. Um, th- it kind of goes both ways with recursion to a degree in that you have to spend more time killing their things, and usually it takes more time to kill something than it is to just put it on the table. Usually, not always. Um, but like. That is not always the case, especially when you get into the very late rounds, as long as you're holding on on scenario and they've got 100 models left. Yeah, right. um, it, was, it was a big problem with Verona, too, because she would get ahead yes. on attrition and then get her whole army back. <laughs> it's like, oh, God, i got to keep activating it all. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's probably, like, that was me playing a lot of Morvana too is a big part of why I play as quick as I do because you have to be like, listen, I can't slow down. Like I, because a lot of people do this too, where they're very kind of like melancholic about like not moving that quickly in the early game. Like you start learning, like no, literally round one, I gotta move because yep. I know for a because I'm not gonna I'm gonna have this many models in five rounds. <laughs> so <laughs> you're like, so the question I guess then is. When do you? How far behind in clock do you have to be at what point to be behind? As I've, far as that condition goes, I have watched enough of Brett's games to know <laughs> that this is irrelevant. <laughs> Shots fired. 
I'm mostly thinking of ATC. I remember Jaden walking over and going like, oh, he's got him on clock. He's 15 minutes up. And then Brett lost on clock. And we were like, what happened? Specifically, Brett had 26 minutes and his opponent had like nine. And it was turn three. It's like, oh, come on. Yep. Don't be me. <laughs> don't, be, don't be Brett. <laughs> that's, and that's the answer. Don't be Brett. <laughs> That's done. the end of the episode. Well done. <laughs> no, uh, um, I don't know. I mean, it, it, like that—that that depends on the game quite a bit. But like to me, when I look at the clock and I'm like ten minutes up, I'm usually feeling really good. Um, but there's there's never really a certainty, honestly, until they're below like a very certain point. I guess is clock really a better low. condition for the second player than it is for the first player? Uh, I I believe so. Yeah, I mean it's it's just the nature of being the first one to be ticking down, right? Um, so it, it depends a little bit, but I think sure. for the most part that is that is something something relevant. Um, that's why I always love whenever I do go second, I'm able to like, uh, or when I when I go first and I'm able to get the other person behind on clock, then right. it always feels really good. That's a great feeling. Like, yeah, you're like okay, I'm definitely playing a lot faster than this person is. Um. So once you've actually like established that you're behind, how do you start returning from that? So we mentioned kind of one thing already, which is establishing your win conditions. Mm-hmm. Right. This is something we've actually talked about quite a bit in the past uh, about establishing your win conditions from the beginning of the game and being willing to adjust that over time, which is one of the most important yep. parts is being able to adjust it. Um, but it's been like a year, so we it has been a little touch while. On yeah. It. And yeah, we, yeah, we'll definitely touch on it. I mean, that's so like one of the most important like skills as far as uh, thinking about the game on a on a full scale right from thinking about the game from its beginning to its end is establishing your win condition right from the beginning um or win conditions it can be more than it could be all three depends on depends on what you're playing um being able to look and this this kind of comes down to like understanding matchups a lot of the time and understanding what your own list and what your opponent's list is capable of but looking at it and going that that there's four main ways that you can win a game there is scenario so getting to where you have five more points than the other person uh there is attrition which attrition is is the only one that doesn't win you the game on its own but attrition is essentially reducing them to so few models that they cannot reasonably stop you from winning on scenario or assassination um assassination killing your warcaster this is pretty pretty straightforward uh and then clock um, the one that you, strictly speaking, have the least control over would, is probably clock, because uh, that that relies a little bit on your opponent. Clock is sometimes I I have recognized win, a clock as win condition very early on before, but it's usually when the opponent is is not going quickly. <laughs> um, right. There are times where you can kind of look at a matchup and go, yeah, this is coming down to clock, uh, but at the end of the day, this is putting like trying to think of this as like, this is how you win is putting a lot of like hope that your opponent plays a certain, at a certain speed. Right. It kind of comes down to, to what they do. Yeah. Um, the other ones like can be mitigated, but the, and one thing that's really important is that each win can it like, it's not like you go, my win condition is scenario. I'm going to ignore everything else. (laughs) Definitely don't want to do that. Uh, the reason being that any given win condition can inform any other win condition. Uh, yep. So, like, constantly threatening assassination 
can give you an attrition or scenario advantage, right? Constantly threatening scenario can put you in a position to assassinate or get an attrition advantage. And this, this goes around. Like, all of them can kind of play into each other to some degree. Yeah. But getting a sense of which is the one that you are going to be best at and which is the one that is probably how you're going to win a given game. Uh, that's why, like, a lot of the time when you're playing, like, Magnus 2 or, like, any kind of really extreme control casters, like Kruger 2, things like that, oftentimes you're going to sit down and go, nine times out of ten, I'm winning this on scenario. And nine times out of ten, I'm losing it on assassination. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and that's another thing. Is is yeah, recognizing your, your loss condition, right? Yeah. Is like, listen, like this caster, I know attrition's really well, and I know scenarios really well, but they're often put in a position where they might die. So right. I have to I have to account for that. Um, yep. So the thing is, is that once you've actually, so getting kind of back to the main topic, though, is once you've established that you are behind in a game, this is one of the points, definitely, where you need to reassess what your win condition is. Um, because in a lot of ways, like, say you're going for a scenario win, and you're way behind on attrition, but you have a really good scenario play, like, you're probably not as behind as you think. Mm-hmm. Uh, in fact, you're definitely are, not as behind as your opponent thinks. The, yeah, the, there are definitely games I've played with Kruger 2 back in the day, or like uh, old school Haley 2, things like that, where they would actually get, you would get to where you were getting obliterated on attrition, but it didn't matter because you scored the last point you needed. Yep. You just go, hey, listen, you're just going to kill like half my army, but it doesn't matter because you can't catch up. Um, that's, that's something. And that, like, the... <laughs> the feed you my whole army so I can win on scenario is definitely one of the more ballsy plays in the game. <laughs> but like, if you're it good works. at it, like it is a way to end games very fast, especially with how live current scenarios are. Yeah. I mean, that's like that kind of a play can end Mirage instantly, pretty much. You go, hey, I got your objective, contesting your zone, and I just shoved everything away from the flags and scored four points this turn. <laughs> I mean, that's what happened in my first round of the, the tournament I played in last week. It's like, yeah. oh, I, I don't have Wormwood. I have to play Iona into Siege 1. Guess it's a good thing this is Mirage, and I can score five in one turn. <laughs> Yay! Yeah, uh, yeah, and that's that's definitely a thing you can do. And, that, and oftentimes, playing from behind, like, look at scenario. I, yep. I, don't, I, have, won, I have won many a tournament game where I was very ahead on attrition, but knew for a fact I was about to instantly lose on scenario, but the other person did not recognize that. Um, where I like I've I've pointed out in games I've gone, hey, listen, if you kill those three warrior models and move that solo, I lose the game instantly. <laughs> right. But you didn't notice that, right? And it's it's kind of a big deal. And and so being able to constantly at the beginning of every turn reassess that win condition. Yeah. And, and notice that sometimes one of your outs is your opponent making a huge mistake. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. I mean definitely. It's and that's a and that that's an important thing is it, when you're playing from especially when you're very behind, a lot of people give up and go, okay, I'm just gonna concede because there's nothing I can do. And there there is a point where it has become so one sided that it's like literally nothing could bring me back in it it's like once you're like oh i have my caster against you know 70 points of guys sitting here staring me down like there's there's probably any scoring three points a turn like yeah there's a point where there's not much you can do but at the end but like when you're just behind on attrition like even if you're pretty behind give your opponent yeah exactly yeah give your opponent every possible chance to mess up (laughs) so so this is actually a great point Information yeah. overload in this game is a very, very real thing, and so is decision uh, paralysis. And so when you're playing from behind, right, like there's a bunch of different things you can do. Look to scenario, that's a big one. But if you also just make your opponent make a million decisions on their turn, they're going to mess up some of those decisions, and some of their dice rolls are not going to work out. Yeah, 
yeah, I mean, sometimes there's a there's a case to be made of just like I don't have much left, but I'm gonna shove it all in your face and just see how your dice play out. Um, I mean, I played a game against um, uh, Iona, where uh, I killed almost her whole army, but how she ended up playing that one out was like feet charge something, kill it, lightning strike, stand next to my caster with Iona. <laughs> With with surefoot on herself. Oh God! Right, and it's and she has basically no models left. Right, like she had like a couple solos. I had like most of my army, but my army ain't killing her. No. I was like, I'm sitting there looking at because I didn't have anything that was like that absurdly accurate. Like, you know, nothing nothing I had on the table was like, like I was playing Rasheth too. So it's not like my (laughs) caster is getting involved, right? Like he's just sitting there like. Okay. And <laughs> the thing is, is I, I had to look at it and I went, assassination is not my win condition right now. <laughs> the fact that I'm a couple points up on scenario is, and I won on scenario that turn, but it's like, if you ever, like, I could have made that mistake of like, oh, wrong. my Supreme Guardian can probably kill her. It yeah. probably can't. <laughs> like, <laughs> Almost certainly can't. Like, a miss or two at the wrong, it's a little better than some things because it has a three inch melee at least, but like, a miss or two at the wrong time and it's just it's it's game over right like there's nothing you can do about that um so like you you have you have to be able to recognize that and that's a moment where no i was not behind but like i was in a situation where my opponent was behind and he was like i'm gonna try to get you to make a bad decision and that's a very reasonable thing to do and many people will take that bait um and another thing is this is a little bit how it plays how this kind of plays into the other topic of, of tilt is like when you're playing from behind, one of the best ways you can come back from that is not to get tilted about it. <laughs> um, it like honestly, as soon as you're behind and then you get upset, yeah, it's probably done. over. Yeah, that's right. It, it's over. I mean, that's like I I I mentioned uh, during our ATC wrap up. I had a game against uh, Alex Cosma, where he alphaed me. He alphaed the shit out of me. <laughs> I I was unaware of how much output ZS2 lists have. Like I had just never played against him. And I remember in that moment, like going, man, if I was the sort to get tilted because I was behind, this would be game over. Like it would just be over. And all I did was just tank up and let his dice fail him one turn. And that's all it really took. Right. And that's, and that's, you know, did I win that by skill? I don't know. You could say it's a skill that I, I set up that situation, but at the end of the day, like at the end of the day, it came down to like, I'm going to set up this situation and hope his dice don't quite work out. And they didn't quite work out. So I won. I gave myself that option. Right. Right. And it ends up working out rather than just kind of giving up and going like, yeah, whatever. I'm just going to kill whatever I can reach and roll with it. Um, so it's just really important to be able to kind of keep your cool look at the game and go, I'm going to try to put myself in the best possible situation. I'm going to get any little victories I can on the table. Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> anything you can get to just scrape back up just a little bit. And, and yeah, it, this is the thing. Once you're behind, there's a reason it's called being behind. You are, you're losing currently. Like currently, once you've established that you are currently losing the game, it will be an uphill battle strictly speaking against like against two equal opponents well, you will in, lose unless you misjudge whether you're behind <laughs> unless you misjudge once you've established truthfully that you are behind like correctly <laughs> like I, with two and if the opponent is as good as you are you sh- you should lose most of the time because the game is balanced and well and competitive right 
but that doesn't mean you're out of it. That means right. you can, to be honest, that's some of the most memorable and some of the most, some of the best practice you'll ever get is trying to come back from that position. Cause then you're now you're like, I'm going to try to master a situation in which I'm losing. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's a really important, that's a really, really good skill to have. Shit. You reminded um, me of something I should have said when we were talking about tilt. Okay. Uh, okay. Sorry. Uh, you think about the value of a game and try and understand that try and understand what the purpose of your game is um if you're at a local game night it really doesn't matter if you win or lose right right like who who cares if you win my street cred yeah (laughs) like (laughs) what you're trying to do is you're trying to get into situations that will help you win games when they do matter like at tournaments like at at big cons so um you want to lose every local game and then win tournament games. So don't don't get invested in like the win loss results. Try and remind yourself why you're playing local practice games. Yeah, I, I actually deliberately stopped tracking my win loss ratio like two years ago because it was starting to be a problem. Yeah, I was like, this is not good. I, yeah. I need to stop focusing on this. Yep, and it's not relevant to your tournament success. No, not at all. Um. So, what, strictly speaking, even win loss like the ratio in tournaments doesn't really like mean all. At the end of the day, it's yeah, like you, you either get, won you that set fun. of games or you didn't. Yeah. <laughs> right. Um, <laughs> so yeah, identifying the scenario is a really good one. How do you know when assassination is your only out? So uh, this is where you're looking at like your opponent is either scoring more than you or you cannot score anything fast enough that you're going to be like you should be able to to sit yeah. down and kind of work that out when hey there's right. not a point where i'm getting to five points up on this guy yeah it's it's kind of the the same points we're talking about like if they score yeah. on your if you can't prevent them from scoring on your turn yeah. or if they scored like four right and so then you can look at uh what does attrition look like like can i can i come back by just killing his models basically and scrape back that way and if you're in the situation we mentioned where uh, i like the pieces i have cannot kill these pieces or the pieces i have can't kill these kill this number of pieces fast enough before they remove me and i just lose on scenario anyway like you have to be able to recognize that uh look at their clock are they way below you or are they going to clock themselves before winning on scenario or whatever like, if not, you have hit the point where you are throwing your terrible nuke at their caster a few times. <laughs> <laughs> and the thing oh, is, oh, is... we're talking about assassinations where you don't even bother plugging it into... Uh, um, when it, when it literally you. is all you have left. Yeah, yeah. well, and that's, and, that's, and that's a good point to bring up as well. Even if you're not in that dire of a situation yeah. and you're just generally behind, like... It, you taking, can ma- taking a minute and plugging into odds machine is a really good play. Yeah, you can yeah. look at it and go, hey, I've got a few attacks on their caster. You're like, what does that math out as? And you'd be surprised how often that you're like, couple of pot shots is like, oh, that's an 85% chance to kill them. <laughs> well, like, even occasionally. Like 50 if you're behind. Yeah, even yeah, if you're really behind and, and really feeling it, like you'll go like, hey, this is like a 48% chance to work. Like, that's I'll about as that good course. as I'm getting. <laughs> yeah, like that's yeah. definitely a thing. And the, this is the thing. It'll work half the time. <laughs> Yeah, and, that's, and, and that's, you have to judge and, whether you'll win more games that half the time or going on assassination yeah. or attrition or scenario. Right. Yeah. It's that assassination will work half the time, but just letting yourself lose won't work ever. So. Yeah. Well, saying. I found that even after playing for a long time, <laughs> my my feeling for how good um, assassination is is 
less accurate than my feeling of how good attrition and scenario is. So oh, okay. plugging in the math and like just doing the looking at the hard number is really helpful. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, this is a thing. percent something like that. Yeah. This is the thing I needed. <laughs> yeah. This is the thing I need to do more because I like I I'm, I notoriously don't kill casters. Like I just. That's kind of a problem. I, I I hate it. Yeah, I think we're all. No, like, I I hate like, killing casters. You look at assassinations and go like, oh god. There's a three like, to failure. Fuck that. I'm out. <laughs> yeah, like I I have had too many assassinations. Go like, hey, this is a two percent chance to not work, and oh, it didn't. You know, and the thing is, is like, there's probably a million assassinations I've done <laughs> that have worked absolutely fine, but you remember the ones that don't, right? They burn into your brain and and <laughs> become one with you. And and like there there's some relevancy to looking at like. A 70% chance assassination looks pretty good, right? But, like, over the course of a five-round event, if you're going for that every time, like, it's not going to work out for you. <laughs> you know, like, it's like... What is the odds of that? Keep talking. I don't know exactly. I mean, you, you go... This dives a little bit into gambler's fallacy to a degree, but, like, it's still kind of, like, mathematically speaking, you can't bank on that all the time, even though it sounds... It's like, oh, that's an above 50% number. Like, that doesn't... I mean, it's it's a good I, thing to go for. I just, I just did the math. Um, if you go for a seventy percent assassination five games in a row, the chances of you winning that tournament are sixteen percent. So, yeah. The thing is, is strictly speaking, that's not super relevant because that's not. Oh no, I agree. It's a weird tournament where you get a seventy yeah. percent every time. But like thinking about it that way, like it, it, especially when you go to a lot of tournaments, um, you can kind of start thinking about like I start I tend to start thinking about those percentages all together as a thing of like listen like. A 70% chance to succeed is still a 30% chance that this does not work out. Well, it, <laughs> what, what you're actually doing is you're saying that the 30% chance of failure of assassination is is higher than the I chance have. of failure for scenario. <clears throat> yeah, like, yeah, I, yeah, I, yeah, I yeah. think that I have an 80 or a 90 if I go on scenario. Yeah, right. And the, and the thing is, it's funny about that is it, it it's it we're I think we all feel so kind of inaccurate about that, but it's also the easiest one to get the exact percentage on. <laughs> Right. Because, like, what really is your percentage chance on attrition, right? Like, it's not something you can just kind of math out. Like, it's... Well, unless you you're playing to... Iona, then it's 100%. Yeah, well, basically. <laughs> but, like, it, at the end of the day, like, there's a lot of factors that go into, like, what that quote-unquote percentage actually is, or on scenario, kind of same deal. Whereas, like, assassination, you can literally just put some numbers in and go, oh, 85. Right. That's, um, that, that's precise, you know? So while we're talking about feelings and percentages, it's actually uh, the human brain interprets uh, frequency better than percentage. So if you translate it into I win seven games out of ten, um, yeah. it, it's actually easier for the human brain to interpret it that way. Yeah. Yep. Cool. Yeah. I look at it out of... See, this is the thing. I look. I tend to look at things out of 100, which just is percentages. Which is, yeah. yeah. <laughs> right? But so, it's, yeah. <laughs> it's just hard. Yeah. It's hard for the human brain to process 100. No, definitely. See, I, that's usually I will say a percentage and then go, "That's ninety-two out of a hundred games." Like, it's <laughs> just yeah. No, you've done. You've changed nothing. <laughs> yeah, it's exactly the same. But you just you know, it's it's a little easier to like you comprehend what's going on. Yes, which yeah. is ideal as a podcaster. Using more <laughs> syllables is is what I need. To do. Are we paid by the syllable? Are we paid at all? <laughs> I'm not. <laughs> Fair. Um, yep. Yeah, I don't know. I look at assassinations unless I'm playing something like Kruger 2, and I'm just like, mm, I don't care what the odds are. I'm not doing this. <laughs> yeah. 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 Unless I'm behind, in which case I'm like, yeah, yeah. Oh man, look, your caster's there. I can get to it with something. Yeah. Yeah. Which, which I think is actually a problem in our playstyles. 
Um, oh yeah, I, the, there are games I have lost because I have not been willing to like. I haven't even looked at the possibility yep. of assassinating a caster because I just go, ah, oh, attrition, like I usually do. <laughs> my my comfort food. I'm gonna kill all your models. Um, I just, oh, I like watching all the little guys come off the table. It's fun, you know. Like that's it's literally. I just get caught up in that. Just this constant like positive feedback loop of like, oh, I killed that guy. Oh, I killed that guy too. This is great. <laughs> And then, like, I realized that, like, oh, I could have just won this game if I just, like, <laughs> killed you, because, yep. Right. I'm really bad about that. That's actually one with the, the Xerxes 2 Kaiju list. The amount of times, especially when you go first, that it's, like, literally I would just kill you if my Hydra just walked up and sprayed you to death right now. <laughs> right. And I, just, and I just don't do it, because it just doesn't click that my threat ranges are that far for me, so I'm just kind of like, oh, I can kill all your front line. And it's like, uh, why don't I just... One of my <laughs> favorites... <laughs> this is going off topic, and we're probably getting to the end of this here, but... Uh, I played a game in which uh, somebody put Ragman right next to their caster. Um, so he has Sackpon Warrior model. <laughs> well, yes. So every spray you do hits him twice. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I, did, I didn't go for it because I was already like so ahead that it was like, that has any chance of failing and <laughs> my attrition has basically no chance of failing right now. But it was still just this kind of funny moment of like, that's a horrible interaction. <laughs> <laughs> uh. Massive. Hydra sprays over Ragman and your caster is a bad time. Okay, so last piece of from behind advice. Um, if you are behind, start getting your caster involved. Start sending your caster in to do work, um, mm-hmm. because generally when you're making attrition calls, you're you're including with your caster being in a very safe place. The advantage to using the resources on your caster and getting them involved is that it encourages your opponent to go for an assassination. Which, if you're behind, means it's actually a higher odds of surviving an assassination, at which point they've wasted all that attrition, and maybe now you get back in. Or maybe they even give you a counter-assassination. Um, yeah. Really up. So, well, it's, uh, yeah. It's like one, one way to think about casters, I think a lot of people don't, but um, <clears throat> is your, your casters are essentially free points, right? Like they... Lots of free points. They are all... Yeah, lots of, lots of... Yeah, they... It, any caster is capable of doing a lot of work yeah. to uh, of some kind um and like and then yeah there's some where it's like i'm playing assyria <laughs> <laughs> that's one of her issues is once she's really behind on attrition like she doesn't yep. she doesn't, she doesn't she get doesn't involved have, in that anyway right? but like 99 percent of casters have some kind of dumb little nuke they can cast to just pop a couple guys you know, even if that's the minimum of what you can do. And many casters are like, just by nature, being able to buy and boost attacks are like way better yeah. in melee than you'd think. They have a POW 13 melee weapon. Wow, that could do some work. Yeah. That, that can act, you know, if you have, if you're like Fury 6, that can act like three or four POW 13 charges, you know, by boosting damage repeatedly. Like, that's something you need to think about. Like, casters will randomly, like, half kill heavies, yep. <laughs> even though they have kind of bad offensive stats, just because, like, they can boost their damage rolls repeatedly. Um, and, and some casters make this a lot more obvious. Like, you know, when you're playing Butcher 3, it's pretty clear that there's an attrition swing to cast it. Yeah, yes, that's literally... You, that you should have been recognizing that that's how you were going to kill everything in the first place. Your whole list was probably designed just to get them up the table. Uh, but, like, there, yeah, there are plenty of games where... And that's part of where, like, uh, Animai, like, Lightning Strike, or, like, abilities like Sprint. And this is why I love Thyra. Like, I absolutely just adore Thyra. Is her ability in the very late game to just, like, kill a few dudes, back up, and do that over and over again, and just get you back in. Or even something uh, like Admonition, right? Even Admonition. Yeah, even if it's just straight defensive stuff. 
Um, I have definitely played uh, Vindictus with 33 zealots before, and it's <laughs> it's not good, but it's funny. Um, when, when your caster can just kind of get up there and do a bit of work and feel relatively, especially like admonition in the very late game is such a dumb spell. Like when you're down to just like a few models, they they can't box you in anymore, and admonition can let you just run the table. Um, it's a bit like a pursuit that way, yeah. or, or dodge. Like it's the <laughs> dodge can be really good. Yep. Yep. <clears throat> yeah. So yeah, that's uh that's that. I think it's an episode. Yeah, I think so. Uh, so that's our little attack on just tilting, playing from behind. For anybody who has ever been in that situation, which it should be pretty much everybody at some point or another. Uh, so, yep. in closing, I want to give a big thanks to everybody who supports us on Patreon. You guys have been super awesome. Uh, we That's the big next thing. Next week. Gets, yep, we're going to be doing that next. We're going to be doing the quarterly raffle for uh, some models and stuff uh, next week which will be great. And that's for everybody who supports us. Uh, all the different tiers have uh, different things that we raffle off every quarter. Uh, it's also just a great way to kind of support what it is that we do and keep us being able to consistently do this. And also just kind of helps incentivize us to like do better, <laughs> I guess, you know, it's, yeah. yeah, it's, it's really easy. This is the thing, like doing anything like this, like podcasting or blogging, certainly for anybody who's, who's paid attention to it is, is, has seen this. Um, it's really easy to just, start running out of steam a little bit and uh, being able to kind of uh, help kind of justify that time a little bit more, especially like to our families or to um, other possible things that we, we might need (laughs) other responsibilities we might have. Uh, It just kind of helps keep us on the ball and keep us responsible for, for what it is that we do. Uh, If you don't want to check that out, you can go to patreon.com slash LOS war machine. You can support us on there uh also a huge thanks to broken egg games for their support uh i looked around to see if they had anything new going on and not really their zones are back in stock the war machine yep. zones adam's um, working on something but i can't talk about it right now yeah there, there's there's not a lot of whole there's not a whole lot of new stuff at the moment um i expect in the next like couple months we'll probably start seeing the early stuff for the infernal tokens and everything like that which i'm sure will look really cool uh, he always likes putting up renders and stuff for those a little bit ahead of time, so we can kind of see what they look like. Uh, so hopefully we see those eventually. Uh, if you do want to go to the Broken Egg Games store, you can use the code LOS5CODE, get 5% off everything they sell there. Also, big thanks to Tyson for sponsoring us from figurepainters.com. Um, last thing he really announced was they had the new bust that he put up, the kind of orc guy. Yeah. Uh, uh, it's something, just the Destroyer. It's a really cool bust. Like- I painted one of them. Yeah, yeah. Tyson's been doing a lot of really awesome, like, uh, cool sculpting work and things like that. And of course, he's the one who's behind the really amazing Rocketmen fly bases and the Grimkin kind of farm bases that uh, have very, very prolific and does a lot of other really awesome hobby stuff. So if you want to check that out, go to figurepainters.com and see everything he's got going on. Our website is loswarmachine.com. It's where all of the blogs, podcasts get posted, things like that. Uh, we also host a couple of other podcasts on there, like uh, Blight Makes Right, Disciple of Agony. Uh, I think that's it right now. We added a couple, but pillars of salt. That'll be coming uh, out later this week. Basically, Um, do we record an episode? Yeah, we did. I just haven't put it up. Yay! Yep, 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 yep. Uh, I was gonna be really sad if I forgot one, but the one I forgot is just you people. So whatever. (laughs) Uh, Very sad to hear you say that. (laughs) (laughs) All the Uh, out of the pillars. Yep. Uh, I lose the bet. Yep. 
Oh yeah. <laughs> I'm probably not playing Mozart, so you're safe. But yes. <laughs> uh, you can find us on Twitter at los underscore Chandler, at los underscore Jaden, or at chokeobsessed underscore ll, or email us at loswormhords at gmail dot com. Our Facebook is line of sight. That's the easiest way to see everything we've got going on. Uh, we post a lot of like painting stuff there as well as well as just random posts and whatnot. And uh, you can message that Facebook group or any of us personally, and we're usually pretty friendly. Yep, that's it. Episode seventy six. Woo! We're three quarters of the way to hundred. Woo! <laughs> All right, everybody. We'll see you next week.